Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Burlingame Bees first podcast. My name is Sam. My name is Jackson. I'm Alex. Hi, I'm Sophia. Hello there, I'm Will. And I'm Farah. So today we're going to kind of be debriefing the attack on the Capitol. So the attack on the Capitol happened on January 6, 2021, and Trump supporters broke into the Capitol motivated by false claims of election frauds and previous stop the steal rallies from President Trump. Um, After the event, five ended up dead and it has kind of taken over our country. So we're just gonna jump right in. So how are you guys rationalizing this? How are you making sense of this big event in history right now? Um, Well, I think it's really important to point out the differences between the Black Lives Matter protests and the coup, um, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a, there's a lot of interesting data to look at when it comes to comparing the Black Lives Matter protests and um, the Capitol in, insurrection, um, as people are calling it, um, especially among the party line and public opinion on the matter. Uh, a poll from YouGov came out saying that, you know, uh, 45% of Republicans actually supported um, the Capitol storming. It's a big number when you compare it to how only 20% of Republicans um, supported the Black Lives Matter protests. You know, is this a partisan issue? Definitely. And I think that these are some two different, two good events to look at to figure out, you know, where is the public opinion on these, these events? Also, looking at how the Capitol Police handled it and how law enforcement handled it compared to how they handled Black Lives Matter protests, like uh, tear gas and uh, rubber bullets were often used in in Black Lives Matter protests that were uh, peaceful. And they, like protesters um, and really in like terrorists, domestic terrorists were able to get all the way into the uh, rotunda of the Capitol until tear gas was fired. And they were able to penetrate like all of these offices and like get inside the Capitol without there being much pushback. Yeah, I mean, there was a photo circulating social media for a while, you know, looking at how the National Guard was like heavily guarding the Capitol building um, during the Black Lives Matter protests in Washington. Um, Just comparing that to how you, you, there's videos of um, certain Capitol police literally just taking selfies with protesters at the coup. And and it's really interesting how people are responding to that. they see it as a race issue. They see it as like police are more supportive of President Trump and um, his supporters. Um, I think it's just really interesting how people are rationalizing the differences between these two events. Yeah, and besides and besides the different motivations behind the riots, uh, there's also kind of the rate of damage per se. So the Washington Post covered this, and they said that 97.7% of Black Lives Matter events, no injuries were reported among participants, bystanders, or police, and an overwhelming 96.3% of events involved no property damage or police injuries. Uh, I think that says it all because this protest caused way more damage than Black Lives Matter protests. I totally agree with what you're saying, Will, and I think it's important to recognize how the media is covering both of those because I think a lot of people might be surprised to hear that statistic and they might have thought that Black Lives Matter protests had a lot more injury. 
So recognizing that January 6th was a very big day, a lot of people were trying to um, come to a place of acceptance and trying to come to a place of comfort and... Well, you know, Sam, I think that the, the school did a, like, they did a pretty good job of, you know, getting on top of things, really addressing the issue right away. I think it started with a, an email from um, Kevin Skelly, who's, who's our superintendent of the SNUHSB. And, you know, I think one thing that he said that, that really, you know, struck home was, he said, quote, events in our nation's capital can feel far away, but our actions have consequences. As an agency of government, we aspire to be an example of how a complex organization deals with conflicts and challenges. And I think that, you know, hits on a few different notes that are really important to recognize with this, this capital um, discussion around the capital invasion. You know, though it can be far away, it, it impacts every single one of us living in America, um, and we need, to, we need to treat it as such. Yeah, I agree. I think that it is good for the school to speak out. They should be condemning the violence. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I appreciate that the school was not afraid to kind of say that this is wrong, this is not okay. Uh, even though it's kind of obligatory, of course, they're supposed to set an example and talk to us about what specifically is wrong about this. Um, I, I still applaud the effort to try and comfort students who are upset by these riots. I agree. And I think that it was really good that they had the teachers of first period classes address it with all of their students. Um, in my first period class, we had a long discussion for almost the entire period about how we could try to fix this and how we can't let this event impact our school community. To go back to um, the statement from Kevin Skelly, who's a superintendent, he said, our principals and other leaders in the district began working immediately on how to support our students. And each of our principals has reached out to families to share resources. And I think they did a really good job with that. They introduced that the night that the um, riots were happening. And then the next morning, they immediately addressed it. I totally agree with what you're saying, Farah. I think they did a great job in the moment. But looking past that statement from the school and how like in your first period, you guys had a nice conversation. I don't see that everywhere in Burlingame. When we were putting together this podcast, we actually reached out to multiple different people. I reached out to over 15 people by myself. I was identifying them more as conservative leaning from the Instagram accounts they might have followed, such as um, members of the Trump family, maybe some more conservative news sources. And all of them declined to be brought onto this podcast. And I think that while our school may do a good job of addressing situations like this, I don't feel that they do a sufficient enough job at actually culturing genuine conversations where people aren't afraid to speak up and say their true political views. Yeah, Sam, I think that you're, it's a good point. Um, something that uh, Mr. Belzer, our principal said in his email was, although these are clearly difficult times, I'm simultaneously optimistic that we will work together to meet the demand for a better, more equitable and peaceful future, quote. And and in my opinion, like, how can we, how can we just expect things to get better um, when we have such a we have clear divisions in our school when it comes to ideology? And, and we have to have these discussions if we want to see any real change, you know? One argument that, like, is often used by uh, conser conservative-leaning people is that, like, cancel culture in our society is, like, shaming uh, people for having more conservative views. Um, and then like the other side of that is like 
for liberal people is while you're associating yourself with this insurrection with this bigotry and racism that we saw at the Capitol, how do we like reconcile that and have a balance so we can talk about how to make our school better and how to and more accepting of both sides and just improve our community? Yeah, I'm really glad that the school did something um, just to address this topic. I think that having the teachers speak out against this, that what they did was an act of domestic terrorism. I think that was really important just so that students understand that this isn't okay, and that like chaos doesn't spread throughout the school. Going back to what Alex said about how we're trying, about how the goal of the school should be about having students be more accepting of both sides. I think that he's right. Discussions, they're not about uh, changing someone's political views per se, but more about bringing insight into why someone believes this, uh, their, their kind of ideas towards certain policies, their opinions on certain issues. Um, and that can really bring a community together if everyone understands where people are coming from. I think situations like your first period class, Farah, it seems like they did a great job of that, but just asking, were you seeing a lot of more conservative leaning kids speak out or was it just the same more liberal leftist views being echoed over and over? So our teacher gave us the option to leave the main room and go into a breakout room if they didn't want to discuss. And there were maybe 10 of us left in the main room who were discussing and uh, most, if not all, were definitely liberal left-leaning people and I think that says a lot about conservatives being scared about sharing their views. You're bringing up a fair point about how conservatives you know might not be comfortable talking about these events um, and I, the data backs it up right that, that conservatives are you know a little bit more comfortable with the capital attacks a little bit more less condoning of the attacks but at some point as a school, do we have an obligation to, you know, simply denounce it, right? Is, is, there, is it even a liberal view that attacking the Capitol is wrong, right? Um, taking selfies with Capitol Police as you put your feet up on the desks of legislators. I think MAGA will probably become, like, after seeing this, become a sort of a fearful thing, like a, a reminder of this violence. And how do we understand that cons conservative-leaning people are not entirely uh, connected to that, and how do we accept their views? Um, I think our community is very liberal-based. I think a lot of the time that's just a stereotype, and we just assume everyone is liberal a lot, so you see a lot of like closeted conservatives. It's going to be really hard to do what Alex was saying and to um, make it okay to share opinions with everybody. Yeah, Alex, uh, to kind of you know, dive deeper. If we're trying to become united and understand each other's point of views, we have to do more than just have conversations because you're right, there are a lot of closeted conservatives uh, who don't really want to talk about their views. So the solution is to talk, but also to give conservatives a place to not feel scared to share their points of views. Point, and I think that it all starts with our generation. It starts with teaching telling us that this is not how you deal with political differences. This is not how you try to change a country. You do that by your word. So I, because when I'm looking at the adults in our country and I'm seeing this is how they handle it, I'm ashamed, I'm confused, and I'm, I'm bewildered. So I think really the change starts with our generation. It starts with people who are going to lead the country.
Yeah, and it's important that we set that we separate and teach people that we need to help educate pe people that this is not what America stands for. Well, I also would like to point out the real problem here is that our democracy is going through what every democracy goes through division, no compromise, identity politics. So the solution here is to reach out across the aisle and to try and understand other people's points of views, compromise on certain issues and work together as a country, not as two separate political parties to get things done. Yeah, I think I think you're you're kind of I agree with you completely about the notion that compromises is, is what our country needs right now. And you know, we actually did see senators and um, representatives came back into their chambers and a lot of them actually revoked um, their their appeals for rejection of the electoral college votes. And, and do you see that as a fluke? Is, is this a flash in the pan? Are people just doing the math, the political math, and knowing that they have to somehow compromise in this moment? Or do you think it's going to be long long-term change, people seeing that our democracy is failing right now? Well, I think it is going to be long term, because at the end of the day, that doesn't get things done. And in a government, things need to get done. So people will start trying to, in the government, start trying to compromise and reach across the aisle. This won't be, you know, in probably in Biden's presidency or even maybe in the next decade. But over time, things have to get done. And the only way to do that is to compromise and reach across the aisle. I want to bring up a point that Sam brought up a little while ago that she said that change starts with us. And if we are able to be open-minded and listen to people on the other side, it's it's hard to do that. I've not always been accepting of other people's views and now I'm like, I should have been because it's interesting to hear about other people's views and it makes you a more well-rounded person. And I think it's important to be accepting. And even if you don't agree, you can still listen. And if we become the generation who can become accepting of everyone, then we can make some real change. I think you're definitely right. I also think that it's gonna be really hard to understand that, especially with the role models we have in government right now. Like with the presidential debates, it was not at all listening to each other. It was very chaotic. I absolutely agree. Um, yeah, and you know, continuing this discussion for looking into the future, you know, just in six days, we have the inaugural um, event for Biden inauguration. President Trump actually made a statement, actually in a tweet um, before he was permanently banned, um, saying that he wouldn't attend the inauguration. Um, what do you guys um, see this as? Was this a message to his supporters to, that it was, you know, an open space to attack? Right. Yeah, it's about political division and about, you know, continuing what he's done, which is try to subvert a fair election. And I think as we get more into the Biden administration, I think that there will be a little bit more compromising. I think that's what part of his platform has been to, to like bring America back together. Alex, I agree with where you're going. You know, that's really disrespectful that he can't, you know, suck up his pride and just attend the inauguration. And I think that also is sending the message to his supporters once again that Biden is not the rightful president, that this is a shameful thing to our country. And I think it's because, you know, when Trump got inaugurated four years ago, I was saying to my friends and my family that he's not my president. He's not the president that I want to look up to. He doesn't represent the country that I want to live in. We are essentially saying the same 
message. We're sending the same message that the current president is not who we want to see in office. And I think that's a situation that needs to be dealt. Um, I think that's a very valid point. But I also think that you were saying it to yourself, but you were trying to still be optimistic about it. Instead, Trump is kind of guiding it like kind of a cult kind of incites that they should break into the Capitol or do something extreme. And I think that that's what we can kind of expect at the inauguration. Um, I think that's the biggest thing to be afraid of. Thank you for listening to the Burlingame Bees first podcast episode. We hope that from this episode you learned that we really need to come together and listen to each other's ideas so that we can make compromises for the better of our country. Please keep up with the Burlingame Bee on our social medias at the Burlingame Bee, our website, theburlingamebee.org, or you can email us and tell you how you liked this podcast and any ideas you have for future ones at theburlingamebee at gmail.com. Thank you so much.